And with that, make sure you have your Bibles handy as we open God's word together. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah today, and uh, that's uh, just a little bit more than halfway uh, through your Bibles. It's a little more than halfway through the Old Testament as well. And so we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 11 in just a few minutes together. When I began my freshman year of high school, I didn't know most of the boys in my class. I was starting at a new school, and I really just wanted to make some new friends. So I found out at the start of the school year that some boys in my class had started a cycling club. And I thought, well, hey, I've got a bike. I can join them and get to know some new friends. They invited me to join them for a Saturday ride. And so I showed up with my 10-speed, I like to call it Old Blue. My dad had picked up Old Blue a few years earlier at a garage sale. He got it real cheap, and uh, I had my 10-speeds. I thought I'd be good to go. Well, I show up for this ride on a Saturday, and I noticed that all the boys in my class who were there had racing bikes. I thought to myself, eh, no problem. They're just probably flashy bikes. I can keep up with them. We went on a 10- to 12-mile ride. Guess how I did that day? Not so hot. Those guys left me in the dust. I felt like Kermit the Frog racing Lance Armstrong. It was pretty ugly that day. And so I began riding Old Blue to and from school each day. I began riding a lot. I put hundreds of miles on Old Blue over the next few months. But I realized as I would continue to do these rides with my classmates, I was still too slow. And so I knew what I needed. I needed a new racing bike. And so the weeks leading up to Christmas, I asked my parents for one Christmas gift. I wanted just one gift. I wanted a racing bike. And it seemed like forever. I wanted to have Christmas morning come so I could get that gift that I longed for. I could hardly wait until Christmas morning. And so finally Christmas morning came. I went down the steps from my bedroom into the family room. And there beside the Christmas tree, I saw it. My brand new racing bike. It was a Trek Elance. Black and red paint job on the frame. Shimano components. This thing had 21 gears. And I got on that bike that morning and I realized I could fly on this bike. Well, a few months passed at the end of that school year. We found out there was another school in our athletic league that had their own cycling club. And so we decided to challenge them to a road race. We went on approximately a 27-mile ride. And guess who won that race? (laughs) You guessed it. Todd Perkins won the race. (laughs) Just kidding. I actually won it. And I could have only done it with that bike. If I had been on Old Blue, it would not have happened. And so there leading up to Christmas, I could hardly wait for that great gift. And when it came, it was such a wonderful thing. I want to ask you, have you ever had a time in your life when you have so much looked forward to receiving a gift? And finally the day came and you got that gift and it was wonderful. Well, the Bible tells us that there will be a day When Jesus Christ will come back and touch down on this planet earth for the second time. And as he touches down for the second time, he will set up his kingdom on earth. And it will be like the best birthday and Christmas morning and 4th of July all rolled into one. It is going to be awesome. And I know about you, but I can hardly wait. Please open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1. 
I came across this amazing passage last week as I was doing my devotions uh, in the morning. And I, I just knew that I had to share this passage with you today. It's such a wonderful, encouraging passage. I want to share it with you today, especially uh, coming off of last week's message uh, when we talked about some things in our two major political parties that are downright rotten. And so we are going to look to this day when Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom on earth and it is going to be awesome. We're in Isaiah chapter 11. That's a little more than half the way through your Bibles, uh, probably two thirds the way through your Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 11 and we'll be starting in verse one. Here's how the word of God reads. Starting in verse one, it says a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy with justice. He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover over the earth or cover over the sea. In the day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. May God bless us. As we study and apply his word to our lives today. Isaiah lived around 700 years before Christ was born. The prophet Isaiah lived around 700 B.C. And he prophesied in the southern kingdom of Judah uh, during the time that Assyria conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. Remember, there were ten tribes of Israel in the north, two tribes of Judah In the south. And so Isaiah was prophesying in the south, in and around Jerusalem, around the time that Assyria conquered those ten tribes in the north. And God revealed to Isaiah the prophet that what had happened to northern Israel, that judgment that had come upon them because they had rebelled against God and rebelled against his laws and commands, that same fate would come to southern Judah. If they followed in Israel's footsteps, if they chose to rebel against God and rebel against his laws, the same fate would come to them. And so during his 40 plus years of prophesying, he shares this message of warning and this message of judgment to the people in Judah. But also, like many other prophetic books, it's not just about judgment. It's also about blessing. If you choose to follow God and obey God, here are the blessings that are coming. Isaiah's name means Yahweh is salvation. 
Yahweh remembers that holiest name of God. It can also be translated as I am. Uh, it literally means that God is the self-existent one. He always has been, always is, and always will be God. He has no beginning and no end. He is Yahweh. And so that name Isaiah means Yahweh is salvation. You'll notice on your screen there, it's also the name Yeshua or Jesus. Uh, Jesus and Joshua and Isaiah are all uh, derivations of the same name that means Yahweh is salvation. It was such an appropriate name for Isaiah because much of what he says in his book of Isaiah throughout these 66 chapters of the book are words about how Jesus Christ will someday come and bring salvation not only to Israel, but really to the whole world. A few examples of this wonderful uh, prophecy about Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, you could call this a, a, a Christmas prophecy. Isaiah 9, 6, Isaiah prophesies this, he says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Uh, you go a little further into the book of Isaiah, into chapter 53, you could call this the Good Friday and the Easter prophecy. In Isaiah 53, he says that Jesus is pierced for our transgressions. He's crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Some of these well-loved prophecies about Jesus Christ from the Old Testament come right from the book of Isaiah. So those are just a few examples of Isaiah's prophecies about Jesus' first coming. But some of the most encouraging prophecies in the book of Isaiah are those that deal with Jesus' second coming. And so when we look at this great passage today in Isaiah chapter 11, he's going to talk a little bit about what Jesus is going to do and what he's going to be like during his first coming. And then he'll shift gears and tell us what he's going to be like and what he's going to do during his second coming. And so this is a great passage, talks about both the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And when he sets up that kingdom of his uh, upon his arrival for his second time here on earth, oh, it's going to be a glorious thing. I can hardly wait. Well, let's take another look at the first five verses of this chapter. These first five verses highlight uh, how Jesus' kingdom will be right and just. Look at verse 1. It says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Well, he we asked the question, who on earth is Jesse? Well, remember that King David was the greatest king in the history of Israel. At least up to the point that Jesus Christ came. He was the greatest king in Israel's history. And his father was Jesse of Bethlehem. And so the root of Jesse, the stump of Jesse, is referring to King David's father, Jesse. And so, remember, David, he was a marvelous king. He had enough sins on his ledger uh, for God to condemn him many times over. But compared to the other kings, he was Israel's greatest king. Remember, he was the man after God's own heart. He was the man who wrote half of the 150 psalms we have in our Bible. 
Uh, he was the one who conquered Jerusalem so it could be the capital city of Israel. And so he was this great, highly respected king in the history of Israel. And so Jesse was David's dad. Why is he called here in verse 1 a stump? Well, it's because Isaiah's prophecies, oftentimes when he talks about God's judgment, he uses this metaphor of a large tree being cut down. And so we find this several times earlier in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 6.13, for example, uh, Israel is described as a stump after God brings judgment on the nation and and cuts her down to size. In chapter 10, God speaks of chopping down Assyria. Assyria similarly described as a tall, healthy tree that God cuts down to size into a stump. So what is God saying here in verse 1 of chapter 11? He's saying that he will bring judgment on Israel. Israel was this great nation. It was God's promised, uh, blessed, chosen nation. And he describes it in essence as this tall cedar in a forest. But because of her pride and her rebellion against God, she will be chopped down into a stump. But guess what? That little stump ain't dead. That little stump still has life in it. It's still alive. And a new uh, shout, a new shoot, I should say, will come out from that stump. That new shoot will be a new King David who won't have the same foibles and mistakes and sins of the first King David. And this new King David will establish his throne over Israel and he will lead it with more righteousness and more justice than the first King David ever did. So here in verse 1, Jesus is called a shoot coming up from the stump of Jesse. He's also called a branch. Notice that in the second half of verse 1. He's called a branch. And you probably, in your translation, have that letter B capitalized at the start of branch. Isn't that interesting? Why is branch capitalized? It's because that word branch in the Hebrew, the original language in which Isaiah was written, is the Hebrew word netzer. There's three key consonants in that Hebrew word, an N, a Z, and an R. That word netzer in Hebrew translates as branch. Now, as I say that word netzer or nezer, does that sound like a certain town that Jesus spent some time in during his ministry? Nezer equals Nazareth, right? Nezer is the root form of the town name Nazareth. And if you go over to the New Testament, Matthew 2.23, it says, Jesus went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. If you search the Old Testament high and low, you will not find a verse that specifically says he will be called a Nazarene. What you do find is here in Isaiah 11.1, it says he will be called Netzer, he will be called Branch. And so you paraphrase that and there's a beautiful fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus Christ will be called a Nazarene. He is the branch coming from the stump of Jesse. Well, Take a look at verse 2. God's word tells us that the spirit of Yahweh will rest on Jesus. That's certainly true of Jesus' life and ministry. We know that at his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. The Holy Spirit filled him and gave him the spirit of wisdom and a spirit of understanding and of counsel and power and knowledge and a spirit 
of the fear of the Lord. Yes, Jesus was filled with the fear of the Lord. Now, that's kind of strange sounding to some of our ears today because the church doesn't talk too much about the fear of the Lord. It seems like more of an Old Testament thing than a New Testament thing. But God doesn't want us to miss this. Notice in verse 3 it says, Jesus will delight in the fear of the Lord. So in case we missed it in verse 2, God in a sense reiterates it in verse 3, Jesus will delight in the fear of the Lord. I want to talk about that for just a few moments because so many Christians uh, don't really grasp what is meant by the fear of the Lord. And to be honest with you, it's confused me a lot uh, over the years as well. Well, the fear of the Lord, we, we are hesitant to talk about that with our kids. We're, we're hesitant at times to preach or teach about it because we think, well, I'm saved. I'm in God's family. I've been covered with the grace of Christ. I'm not supposed to be afraid of God, am I? That's a natural question. I don't want to be afraid of God. Well, it's important to understand that the fear of God and being afraid of God are not the same thing. The fear of God is a much more encompassing term than that statement to be afraid of God. When we fear the Lord... We're talking about believing in the Lord. We're talking about loving the Lord, glorifying the Lord, praising the Lord, and also respecting and being in awe. And yes, also being afraid of going against what the Lord has said to do. There is certainly a certain amount of fear in the fear of the Lord, without a doubt. Uh, Do you remember what God's first characteristic is? The number one characteristic of God, when I've asked this question to many Christians over the years, the most common answer I get is love. The most uh, common characteristic of God is love. The number one characteristic is love. Well, that's not actually true biblically. God is love, but God is also grace and God is mercy and God is justice and God is even righteous wrath. But the number one characteristic of God in Scripture is holiness. God is a holy God. That word holy is the only word used to describe God three times over in two different places in Scripture. We find it in the book of Isaiah here where it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We see it again in Revelation 4 at the end of the Bible where the living creatures are bowing down and saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Never will you see repeated, Love, love, love is the Lord God Almighty, or grace, 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 or mercy, 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 or justice, justice, justice. God is all those things, but the foundational characteristic of God is His holiness. And His holiness and our fear of God really go hand in hand. The fear of God has to do with the fact that we serve a holy God. Remember that when we say God is holy, we're saying that he is set apart. Holiness means set apart. It means he's set apart from everything in creation. Everything in this universe is created except for God. He is holy. He is set apart from all of creation. The angels, the demons, the the planets, the stars, everything in this creation is created except for God. He is set apart. Uh, He's also set apart in that he has no sin in him. He's set apart from sin. He's set apart from rebellion. He's set apart from injustice. God is absolutely 100% perfect in all things. He is holy. 
And God's holiness and our fear of God do go hand in hand. So the fear of God is so much more uh, than fear as we typically understand it. The fear of the Lord encompasses believing, as I said. It encompasses knowing. It encompasses humbly submitting to God's authority and respecting God's rod of discipline when we get out of hand. I think the best uh, illustration of this is in the parent-child relationship. If you have a child that is in a loving, caring, healthy family, that child believes in mom and dad, right? That child has a relationship with mom and dad, right? Uh, That child feels loved by mom and dad, but at the same time, that child has a healthy respect and fear of mom and dad if that child chooses to disobey mom and dad's commands. And so just as that child in a loving family has a healthy respect for authority and a healthy fear of punishment if he rebels against that authority, similarly, God has called us, even as Christians under the grace of Christ, to have a healthy fear of God. Because God is not going to ignore our sin, even if we're saved, even if we're heaven bound and and we've got our eternity secure in Christ. He still will punish us when we rebel against him. So every Christian needs to have this foundational fear of God. I like how the 17th century pastor uh, Matthew Henry said it. He wrote these words. He said, Our faith in Christ was never designed to supersede and jostle out our fear of the Lord, but to increase and support it. Uh, To put that in more contemporary words, he's saying you believe in Christ You love Christ, you follow Christ, but all of that should stem from a basic fear of God. Because God is first and foremost a holy God. You and I should first and foremost have an underlying respect for God's authority and continually be in awe of God's majesty and always fear what's coming to us if we rebel against Him. I want to suggest to you that one of the reasons so many Christians are quick to say, I love God but turn around and completely disobey his commands is because our love of God hasn't in this day and age been firmly grounded in the fear of God. I want to share with you what I believe to be a truth of scripture. If we do not have an understanding of God's holiness as a foundation for our theology, then our theology of God's love will be screwed up. And our theology of God's grace and his mercy and his justice and his wrath will all be messed up. We have to have that foundational understanding that he is first and foremost a holy God. And once we understand that, we understand that holiness is a thread that runs through his love and his grace and his mercy and his justice and his wrath. He is a loving God, but he is perfectly holy in his love. He is a just God. But he is perfectly holy in his justice. And so we oftentimes will go off the deep end and not be firmly obeying Christ's commands today because we have not established in our own minds and hearts that he is holy. And I must have a fear of God from which I love God. I adore God. I worship, praise and obey God. Does that make sense? So important to understand he is first and foremost a holy God. Look at verse 4. It says, With righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth 
with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Uh, God purposely puts in verses like this at times to give us kind of a wake up call. Hey, uh, you know, you, you talk a lot about love and mercy and grace because, yes, I am those things. But don't forget, I'm also a God of justice and wrath. He's holy in all of those characteristics. All that Jesus said and did sprung from his healthy fear of our holy God and the same should be said of us. Now, let's move on to verse six. This is my favorite verse in this whole passage. Uh, This is the main verse I want to share with you today. Uh, I'm going to spend a few minutes looking at at verse six because Isaiah here makes a shift. First five verses, he's largely talking about uh, Jesus's first coming Uh, in verse six, following all the way through verse uh, 26. Uh, he's talking uh, almost exclusively about Jesus' second coming. Uh, not through 26, I should have said uh, verse 6 through 16. He's focused almost exclusively on Jesus' second coming when he sets up his kingdom here on earth. Uh, notice what it says in verse 6. It says, The wolf will live with the lamb, uh, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. I just love this verse. Isn't this verse amazing? I love this verse. Don't you just want to pack up and move to that place right now? <laughs> that place where uh, those uh, predators are lying down with the prey. Uh, those, those places where a child can walk around a snake hole and not be injured. Don't you just want to live in a place with that much peace and tranquility? I know that I do. I love this verse. Uh, this verse sounds a lot like that verse that says the lion will lie down with the lamb, right? Sounds a lot like that verse. Do you know where that verse is found in the Bible? Where the lion is going to lay down with the lamb? Do you know where that's found in the Bible? And the answer is, it's not. Did you know that? (laughs) The lion will lay down with the lamb? It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible at all. Now, we could extrapolate that from this verse, but you won't find anywhere in Scripture where it says that the lion is going to lay down with the lamb. What it says is the wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat. And so will in Jesus's kingdom, the lion lay down with the lamb? Sure, because he gives these examples that clearly say the predator and the prey are going to get along just divinely. And so, yes, the lion will lay down with the lamb. But it's interesting to know that specific phrase isn't found anywhere in the Bible. I want to spend a few moments imagining this world uh, where there is perfect peace. It's hard for us to, to wrap our minds around this, but Jesus is going to reign in a world not just with perfect righteousness and justice, but really with perfect peace. Uh, imagine this world with me. Uh, no violence, no assault. Uh, No rape, no murder, no war. In 1968, our nation was in the midst of the uh, Vietnam War. And two songwriters, uh, Bob Thiel and uh, George David Weiss, wrote a song that was recorded by the great jazz musician Louis Armstrong. Uh, You've all heard it many times. Uh, The song was called, What a Wonderful World. And you'll recognize the words, they go like this. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue and clouds of white, the bright blessed day, the dark sacred night. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. 
The colors of the rainbow so pretty in the sky are also on the faces of people going by. I see friends shaking hands saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. I hear babies cry. I watch them grow. They'll learn much more than I'll ever know. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Yes, I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The world that Louis Armstrong imagined and sang about truly is a wonderful world. Doesn't that sound like a wonderful place to be? But I'm telling you, the actual world that Jesus Christ will rule will be so much better. It'll be so much better than Louis Armstrong ever imagined. Imagine Jesus' world with me, a, a world where wolves no longer hunt lambs and leopards no longer mutilate goats. Imagine a world where baby cows and lions uh, go on a walk together and they're perfectly content to be led by a little child. Imagine a world where cows and bears eat side by side and even lions are perfectly content to give up their thirst for red meat and become vegetarians and go high carb and eat the grain uh, with the prey. Imagine this world where little boys play ball right next to a cobra's snake hole. And their parents never have to worry about them getting bitten. Imagine little girls playing uh, next to a venomous snake's nest. And she accidentally drops her Lego inside the nest and has no trepidation about reaching in and retrieving her spilled Lego right beside that mama cobra or mama, mama venomous snake. Imagine this world. That's the world that Jesus is talking about here and describing. Imagine this world where, as Isaiah puts it, the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Oh, I can hardly wait. I can hardly wait to to be in that kind of world. It's going to be awesome. I, I long for that wonderful day. At long last, perfect peace here on earth. No more wars with ISIS or Al Qaeda. No more ruthless dictators like Kim Jong Un or Xi Jinping. No more constant bickering between Republicans and Democrats going at it all the time. No more political corruption. No more political scandals. No more abortion. No more sexual perversion. No more poverty. No more racism. What a wonderful, awesome, amazing world it's going to be. We don't need to lock our doors in that world because nobody will steal our stuff. And since nobody will steal our stuff and it appears that there won't be any more natural disasters, we won't need comprehensive coverage on our auto insurance policy. Woohoo! Going to save money on auto insurance. You don't need comprehensive because no one's going to break in and steal stuff out of your car. And with no natural disasters, you won't have a tree fall on it or a hurricane take your car away somewhere. Praise God. It's going to be a glorious, magnificent, amazing world. Imagine that. No more lawsuits. No more pandemic lockdowns. No more religious persecution. No more terminal illnesses. No more strokes. And praise God, no more cancer. During the thousand year reign of Christ, it won't quite be heaven. Heaven's going to be even better than the thousand year reign of Christ here on earth. Heaven's going to be even better. In heaven, there's no death. In the thousand year reign of Christ, there will be dying. In the thousand-year reign of Christ, there will be a certain amount of of pain and difficulty. In the thousand-year reign of Christ, there will still be some temptation. So it's not quite heaven, but it's the next best thing. And it is going to be the best thing that this world has seen since the Garden of Eden. It's going to be awesome. 
We read in verse 10, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, Jesus Christ, and his place of rest will be glorious. Christians, don't you look forward to that day? Don't you look forward to Jesus doing away with sinful, corrupt, bickering government and politics and setting up government the way it was intended to be? That sounds so good. Jesus Christ is not only the shoot and the branch coming from the stump of Jesse, because Jesus is God, the same yesterday and today and forever. He is also the root of Jesse. He existed long before Jesse was ever on the scene. He alone can say, before Jesse was, I am. That's who Jesus is, the great I am. After having experienced this past six months of COVID and and the last six months of social unrest and, and in constant political squabbling, I long for the day when Jesus Christ returns and takes the throne of planet Earth. At long last, our government will be perfectly right. Finally, our government will be perfectly just. And all creation that for several thousand years has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth will let out a sigh of relief and rejoice as finally... Creation is at rest with Jesus Christ at the helm. Finally, creation will be at peace once again. I can hardly wait. I want to share with you three practical applications from this message today. I encourage you to jot these down and think about them today. I think each of them is important. Number one, practical application number one. Although Jesus isn't yet king of this world... Make sure that he is king of your heart. Now, we know Satan today is the prince of this world. We could make the case that Jesus right now, as I speak, is also king of the world. But you know what I mean. He has not officially set up his throne and sat upon it here on earth. And so one day he will. One day he will sit on on his throne here on earth. He will be king of this world without any doubt. But is he king of your heart? Is he king of your heart today? Number two. Practical application number two, the righteousness and justice that you long for in our world should be lived out inside your own home. Amen. We've talked about this in recent weeks where certain political parties are better at justice than the other. Certain political parties are better at righteousness maybe than the other. Jesus specializes in both righteousness and justice. And so we long for that day when our government will be completely right and completely just. But what is stopping you from making sure that your own family, your own home has those pillars of righteousness and justice in it? Make sure that your home is a place where you do what is right and you do what is just. Number three, practical application. Number three, since Jesus's kingdom is a kingdom of peace. You as Christ's follower must be a peacemaker. You must be a peacemaker. I don't recommend that you try to get wolves and sheep to get along. That won't work out too well before Jesus comes back. I don't recommend that uh, Christian parents let their kids play Legos next to a viper's nest. Uh, That probably won't end well. But the same Lord who will one day bring peace to this world, is living inside of you. Amen? 
If you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, he is living inside of you. His spirit is inside of you. He wants to speak through you and work through you to bring peace and rest to those around you. People around us need to be at peace with God and with others. And we can bring them to peace because we carry with us the Prince of Peace. Amen? Because we carry with us the Prince of Peace, we can bring peace into broken relationships. We can bring peace into every home we step into. We can bring peace to a church that might be at odds with each other. We can bring peace to a place of business. We can even bring peace into a crowded line at Walmart. Imagine that. Everywhere you go, you can sow seeds of peace because the Prince of Peace goes with you. Passages like Isaiah 11, 1 through 10 leave us thinking, what a wonderful world it'll be. But because Jesus lives inside of us, each single day, every single day of our lives, we have the ability to bring much of that wonderful world into our broken world. Isn't that true? We look ahead to that wonderful day when Jesus reigns. But what's stopping us from today with Christ inside of us is the Prince of Peace, bringing that wonderful world to this broken world we live in today. Nothing's stopping us. The only thing that would stop us is you or me, stopping ourselves from being used by God. So I want to encourage you today. Let Jesus Christ work through you to make the lives around you a little bit more right to make the lives around you a little bit more just and make those lives around you a little bit more at rest and peace. What's impossible with man is possible with God. As you go and do his work, he goes with you. Take the Prince of Peace into every relationship you're in and sow seeds of peace. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. So God is calling you to go. He's calling me to go and make this world of ours a little more wonderful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus Christ. He came that first time to live a perfect life and to die a perfect sacrificial death on the cross for our sins. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you conquered death so that you could come back a second time. Lord, we know you'll come back one day and rapture your church. When you come to rapture us, Lord, you won't step foot on the ground. You'll call us to meet you in the air. The world's going to experience that great tribulation. But after that great tribulation, we thank you that you will touch down on planet Earth a second time. And you'll set up your kingdom for a thousand years. Thank you, Lord Jesus. For the justice and the righteousness and the peace that your kingdom will usher in. Righteousness and justice and peace, the likes of which we've never seen in our world. Thank you, Lord. And I pray that we as your ambassadors, with the spirit of the living God and the spirit of Jesus Christ living inside of us, that we would be instruments of justice and righteousness and peace in your hands to work in this broken world for your honor and glory. Make us instruments of peace and righteousness and justice and help us to make this world of ours a little bit more wonderful because we were here with Christ in us. Lord, help us to bring a taste of that future kingdom to our broken world today 
because we know this world desperately needs Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This world does desperately need Christ. And each of us desperately needs Christ. If you've never made a decision to accept Him as your Lord, as your Savior, I invite you to do that right now. It's not complicated. Go to Him and just remember the ABCs. A, admit that you are a sinner. That you've sinned against God, that you've fallen short of His commands and disobeyed them. B, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins so you could be forgiven and enter a relationship with God. And C, choose to follow Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. That word Lord means master or boss. Choose from this point forward to follow Him and to obey Him until He calls you home to heaven. Oh, He invites you to accept Him today. If you've made that decision, please reach out to one of our prayer and decision counselors. Their names and numbers are at the bottom of the screen. Reach out to one of them by phone or text. And they'd love to talk with you and pray with you. And we'd love to set up a time for you to be baptized as soon as possible. Because Jesus said, when you're ready to accept me and follow me as Lord and Savior, you're ready to be baptized and share with anyone that happens to be watching, I'm following Jesus Christ from this point forward. Reach out to one of our prayer counselors. Let us know if you've made that decision today. And also, they're available for prayer for anyone who needs prayer today. Well, at this point, I want to lead us into our final song by leading you in taking communion uh, with me. Uh, Remember that at Impact Christian Church, you do not have to be a member of our church to take communion with us. Uh, We do take communion together each Sunday morning because that's what the early church did uh, in New Testament times. It was a priority for them, so we believe it should be a priority for us as well. The bread reminds us of the body of Jesus Christ that hung on that cross. It was not a a spirit that hung on the cross. It was a body with the spirit of Jesus inside that body of his. And he did experience pain. And he did experience physical suffering as he hung on the cross for us. And so as we take of the bread, we remember his body that was broken for us. And in the same way, we remember as we take the juice... His blood that was poured out for us for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, whenever you drink this, remember my blood that was poured out so you could be forgiven. My blood was poured out so yours wouldn't have to be poured out. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, forgive us for our sin. Anything in our lives that's separating us from you today, wash us clean. Give us a fresh start. And help us to boldly share the righteousness and the justice and the peace and the forgiveness of Christ to anyone who will listen until you call us home to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to go into this final song uh, as a quick reminder. uh, If you'd like to support the great work of Impact Christian Church, we invite you to give in one of three ways. Uh, You can give by mailing a check to our P.O. Box. 
the number there is on the screen for you. You could also text to give or give online through our website. Thank you for your wonderful support of our church. We couldn't do it without you. And I'm just really excited about what we have been doing and what we will be doing in the days to come to expand Christ's kingdom here in the Victor Valley and around the world. God bless you for your generosity. Let's lift our voices for this final song of praise. God bless you.